Okay, we are finally live with Robin from Trust Roofing. Uh, Robin is very inspirational character, and something that really struck me is somebody that is, you know, two years older than me. At 26, he's making over 18 million, and is somebody well, that the company the company does 18 million gross. Yeah, so. but but you are the owner, so you are the one who built it and managed everything, which is truly impressive, right? I mean, uh, it's not common thing in roofing, and many people are actually interested in your story, especially some of my clients, they're very interested in your retail model and uh, your processes and how you run the company and how you made it that successful that fast because you told me you were making, uh, in 2020, you made $400,000 and in 2023, you made uh, over 16 million. So how does somebody go from below million to multiple millions in just three years? Can you talk me through that? I mean, uh, it's very it's very exciting, right? And it's especially valuable for somebody like me who wants to start a roofing company at some point as well, because I believe it's a very you want, oh, very. You want to start a roofing company too? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't know but, that. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, it's a construction or roofing business, but you know, I'm still learning the topics, and this is why I have this podcast, right, Just to talk about marketing in roofing, but also learn from you guys that are extremely su successful in your branches or business. Very, very cool, man. Yeah, so we we did. Uh... First of all, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Appreciate the time. It'd be cool. We'll cover a lot of fun topics, hopefully provide some value to people. I think it's cool that you're starting a podcast. That's awesome. And uh, glad to be a guest. Uh, so yeah, la last year in 2023, we did 18 million in revenue. We started the company in 2020. So that was like our first year. We did about 400 grand. We didn't start. I didn't have my license and all my liability insurance, workers comp, everything all ready to go until about April is when we did our first job in 2020. So it was a half of a year. Um, but I guess just to give a little background on me, I started in the roofing industry very early on. My dad owned a roofing company in the LA area in California since 1983 is when he started. He was working out there even in the 70s. Um, he started on the roof and that's where he came from. So when I was about 15 years old, I dropped out. Or I didn't drop out. I left high school. I ended up getting my GED, but you know, I, didn't, I, wasn't, I wasn't very good at school. I didn't like school. That wasn't my thing. Um, so, you know, my dad offered me an opportunity, he said, Hey, you know, we should get you busy, get you productive. You can uh, work for my roofing company. Right. So, you know, I didn't want to, at first, I wasn't a very productive individual in my teens, you know, as a lot of yeah. us can go through that, but so I said, okay, you know, I'll, I'll give it a shot. So I started roofing for him. Uh, so I did, you know, my very first job was just quality control, checking his commercial sites after they were done checking for accuracy of my, like TPO weld, stuff like this. I started doing repairs, maintenances. Uh, then eventually I was on a commercial crew of his installing TPO roofs on apartment buildings and stuff like this. Uh, and I did that out in LA. Eventually I was the foreman of that, you know, of like a six man crew. So I did that until I was about 22 years old in the LA market. Um, he was always a, a small mom and pop company, right? He had, mm -hmm. you know, a couple employees always operated out of his garage. Uh, he wasn't the kind of guy who really liked to reinvest in his business. He kind of just always kept it small and it always worked. It was a, it was a good, good model mm -hmm. that he had. Um, so anyway, then he, he, my mom and him, there two of my brothers live here in Florida in the Tampa Bay area. So we decided to move over here. Right. So we moved over and we decided let's do a roofing company uh, in Florida. You know, we, they, we still have the LA one, but let's do one here in Florida. So mm -hmm. we started that in, in 2020, I got my license. That was a whole procedure. Uh, starting it off, there was never a goal. There was not a goal to be what we are today. When we started, mm -hmm. when we started, the goal was to just kind of do a model like his. I would sell the jobs and then I would go on the roof and I would do the roofing. I started off with 
I did the first one with my nephew, I remember. And then I got three or four guys together and we were just going up and doing the roofs. I would sell it. I would roof it. I would sell it. I would roof it. And that's how we did it for the first couple of years. So to start off, there wasn't an idea of like scaling or creating this, this uh, big of a company at first. <laughs> so what is exciting, you know, uh, the humble beginnings, right? Uh, usually most of the contractors depends on who you ask, you know, I'm more uh, of a type like you who is ready to scale to indefinite depths, right? But there are some people who are satisfied with what they are. And from what you said, it seems that your father was more of a local type stuck to what works and stuck to have enough for you and the family, right? So how come that somebody like you uh, goes from starting his own company, getting the license and goes from four hundred, uh, no thousand dollars in revenue to eighteen million in just three years. Yeah. How yeah, does somebody? Yeah. What What happened for me was a couple fold. So I'm up on these roofs and I'm I'm roofing away with my guys, right? Okay. And I love I love roofing. Like I love the install process and I love taking care of the client in front of me. I love taking the client, selling them the job, and just doing an incredible job for them and having them really happy at the end. Like I love nothing more. And I also grew to love running and training my guys, like my crew that was under me. And, you know, that was my staff at first. I didn't have any sales guys. I didn't have any office people. I just mm -hmm. had my crew of guys and I loved training them and loved running them. So I started to fall in love with these aspects of the business. Um, and then on the backside, like I'm watching YouTube videos. I'm watching like Roofing Insights YouTube videos. I'm watching like entrepreneurial video. Like I'm just, I'm just kind of watching and researching and, and looking at the industry as a whole. And another thing that I noticed just looking around me as this really small company is I see like private equity coming in. I see the roofing market. Roofing is very segmented. There are just thousands and thousands and thousands of these small roofing companies. And then, you know, now there's like private equity coming in and trying to kind of consolidate it is what I saw. So I was mm -hmm. like, okay, if I'm really small when that happens, then there might not be a place for me in the market to be this super small company. I could get pushed out by bigger guys, right? It's yeah. just a reality that could happen. So I was like, okay, I don't want to be that because I feel like there's a place in this market for a really good model that puts the client first, just wants to take care of the client and wants to put attention. A big thing for me always was on the labor side of it because I believe that that's what I was selling. I was selling a really good roof install and that's where I put most of my attention. And I feel like that's a place that a lot of roofing companies go wrong on is they put a lot of attention on just the sales and the marketing but not enough attention on on the roof and with the client on install day because at the end of the day, that is what they're actually purchasing from you. Uh, so I saw that and I felt like there was a spot for my model in, in the industry and in the business. But I felt like being so small, there was that chance of just getting swallowed up. The other thing for me is it wasn't something I could continue to do because literally I was on the roof with my guys for anywhere from 10 to 12 hours a day. And then I was running the appointments. I was sending the deals. I mean – I was wearing a lot of hats. My mom was helping me in the back end in the office. She was a huge help, but I mean, it was just too much. I was wearing all of the hats. I could not do it anymore like that. Um, so, you know, I decided to set out in, in scaling it and decided to go on that journey um, with the idea that there was a place in the market for a company that really put attention on the, the work, on the workmanship and on the actual roofing side of things. So that was like always my model was going to be in-house crews, we do retail, um, and, and I decided to scale it, and that's kind of that's kind of where it started. That was the idea. The first step in scaling it was to start adding some sales reps. Uh, we got an office. I purchased an office and a warehouse to start stocking materials. Oh, wow. um, and, and then you know we we went for it. I mean, we went. It went faster and crazier than I could have in my wildest dreams at the time. 
Uh, it was really, really wild, honestly. But I feel like the, the, the reason for it and the reason we were able to do it is because, again, just the intention on the simple things, taking care of each client in front of us one by one. That was always our intention. And we're far from perfect, right? We haven't been perfect for every client. But that's our intention is to get there and to do that. So when that's your intention and that's what you're trying to do and you work at it hard, it's hard to not have a snowball effect start to go on where you're able to build something out because that, that's the magic in entrepreneurship, I feel like, and in, in capitalism is truly if you take care of the clients the best, you will grow and you can win. Um, it's very hard to do that, though. It's easy to say yeah. take care of the clients, but all of the little pieces that go into training your team uh, into, you know, getting the business, doing the business, dealing with stuff is a lot to go into it. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the main thing that I strive my company as well, right? You know, it's all about the customer relationship, right? Uh, if you provide a good service, that's worth millions of dollars. You know, even yeah. if you take some losses, uh, you know, you, you'll actually grow way further. You know, for example, with all my clients, I tell them, you know, when you are going to a work site, you know, bring some donuts, you know, feed their dog, play with their dog, play with their children, right? If they are on the site, you know, show that you're a human, that you're not here just because of the money. You know, of course, we do everything for the money and uh, it's, it's a business after all, right? We do it to live, but you need to show some human aspect, you know? Yeah. And unfortunately, white people usually hire local guys is because these guys are not corporate, cooperative, right? They are actually taking care of them and are building onto that. And uh, to me, it seems that you have built something that has, still has insane, you know, customer customer uh, relationship while actually scaling it to the heights of corporate, you know, yeah. big companies. And something you said a, mem a moment ago uh, struck me a little bit, and this is my opinion on it, but like, okay, building this company, of course I do it for, for the money, for the revenue. Like I want to grow, yeah. I have big dreams, I have big goals. Like, of course. Absolutely. But at the same time, you know, there's only so much money that one needs. Like where I'm at in life, I mean, I'm just a relatively happy person. I feel like I can have the things I want relatively mm -hmm. um, and I'm able to live a happy life. Once you get to that point, then there starts to be more to it. And I feel like the guys who are the most successful, whether it be in roofing or in any industry, you start to find and figure out purposes and goals and reasons why you're doing things that are more than just the money, right? Like for me, it's huge, huge. Like I have a huge passion in building my team uh, mm -hmm. and seeing them succeed. Like the fact that I'm able to have my my sister who's like 24, just crushing it in roofing sales. I mean, oh, this well. chick at 24 years old is making more than most adults. I mean, really, we're just crushing it, right? I have a, an 18 year old gal who sells roofs for me and she just absolutely crushes it with with the system that I've, I've tried to give her and the training oh. I've tried to impart. And then she just goes out and does the work. So being able to give those opportunities and train my team for me is huge. I love it. I have a passion for it. That makes me really happy. And then the other aspect is just getting out there and doing a really good job for clients. Because in the roofing industry, it's unfortunate, but this is a really big ticket item. Like our average ticket's like 20K or so in residential. And in commercial, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars, Absolutely. right? Um, and for me, they're still in this industry, despite that high of a ticket price, there are players and there are roofing companies. It's the minority, but who just don't do, unfortunately, in my opinion, a good enough job um, and who don't stand by and behind their work and their promises enough. Like I still all the time will get phone calls. Oh, I got my roof done three years ago. Uh, yeah, it was under warranty, but they're not calling me back or they're out of business or they're not helping yeah. me. Like things like this still a lot of. 
So when I see that, I'm like, okay, this is the industry that I love. This is what I grew up in. You know, I don't want to see that happening. I want to try to be part of raising the bar in the industry toward more professionalism and just toward a better customer experience and journey. Um, and again, I think that the vast majority of guys of roofing companies are good players who really do have the client's best intention at heart. The, it's the minority who, you know, it's a little bit rougher, yeah. I would say, but I, I want to be part of really raising that bar and, and yeah. setting the standard higher in the industry. So for mm -hmm. me, that's important is finding, finding a purpose, finding what you're doing it for and goals that are beyond just the money. Because yeah. the money, like you can be incredibly, incredibly wealthy and you can be incredibly unhappy. And like me, I mean, I'm happy now and I was happy when I was 18 years old and I didn't have, you know, as much income coming in or, or whatever. Right. Absolutely. So it's that like happiness. It's a mindset thing. It not necessarily that the money, you know, it can help, but it isn't the only thing. So, yeah. So what I, uh, you know, I, I really, you know, understand what you meant by that simply because, uh, humans by nature, they're greedy. There's never enough, you know, yeah. some of them, some of them, but by nature, humans are always greedy and want more, you know, and it's very good that you found, uh, an amount that is satisfying you and it makes you happy, right? Because it's all about this battle of having more. It really it's depends a, from person yeah, to person. It's a comparison trap. You know, if you are comparing yourself to others, you will never, in my opinion, really find happiness because there's always someone who's going to maybe have more or have yep. something that you don't have and that maybe you want um, or whatever, or even the opposite way, trying to compare yourself to people who maybe you think are lower than you for some reason yeah. and think, oh, then I'm like, you're never going to be happy doing that. The only way that I found for myself is compare myself to A, who I was and B, who I want to be. And really yep. that you're the person to work for when I'm yeah. 50 years old and I look backwards, am I proud of myself and what I did and the actions that I took and in the person that I was and the things that I accomplished? Um, did I do what I set out to do? Did I do what I wanted to do? Was I the person I wanted to be yeah. right? Making yourself proud and only comparing yourself to yourself. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's the, the whole that's thing. Trick. Cause if you're comparing yourself to others around you, it's really hard to to be happy. It's impossible. It's impossible to compete because there is always going to be somebody better than you. And I think what you said is it's all about even better. Even better is relative because it's like, yeah. okay, they're better, but you know, it's like they're where they're at and you're where you're at. And that's yeah. okay. We're all, all on a journey, right? As long as we're all- I absolutely on love your mindset. You know, it's a very- uh, humble mindset for somebody who is 26 years old. You know, I wouldn't say that I'm talking to 26 year, uh, years old with this sort of wisdom. I would think that somebody who is around 50 has such wisdom. And it's clear to me why you actually succeeded the way you did, because you are a very humble person who actually strives to make a world a better place than just thinking about your own pockets, right? It's all about providing really good customer support and I want to touch to, you know, to these um, words that you said, right? Do not compare others uh, to yourself, right? Uh, I, I believe that we all should follow something, you know, that is called Kaizen, you know, continuous self-improvement and always strive to be 1% better each day, yes. right? Compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not to somebody that is like 50 years old because they had their time, just do better for your own. And... I definitely love the mindset, right? It's something, you know, and it's something that is interesting topic to everybody. You know, mindset is extremely important. Customer support is extremely important. And this is something that I strive to do just like you. 
But uh, you mentioned something that struck me because most of my roofing companies that I work for and work with uh, hire sub crews. So sub crews, and you mentioned that you actually have seventy uh, V two employees, and it's almost all in house labor. So, is there any benefit to having all in house labor? Is it cheaper? Is it better? And if it is better, how does somebody do it like you? I wouldn't necessarily say that it's cheaper, and the reason I wouldn't say that it's cheaper. Um, is because number, I mean, number one, I'm paying all of the payroll tax. I'm paying the legit workers comp. I mean, I'm paying the liability insurance, like on all in the whole thing. And a lot of guys do that when they sub too, but some of them, they sub and the sub has a workers comp policy and the sub actually doesn't pay the workers comp. So in reality, the system is getting hijacked and the workers comp is going out. And here's the thing. I'm not like the guy who like thinks that, oh, you know, all of that is, you know, whatever I, but I am the guy who's like, Hey, if I'm building this business, I want it to be protected. In order for it to be protected, it has to be as legal as possible. So I try to do things in a legal way whenever I can, as much as humanly possible. So in-house crew and in-house labor is the way to do that the most for me. Um, the reason I say it's not cheaper necessarily is because when people subcontract, like let's say I'm subcontracting you for this job, it's a lot easier to say, oh, well, you made this mistake, this mistake, this mistake. I'm holding all that from your check. Now, I still do that with my in-house guys. I hold them accountable, right? But there's a little bit of a difference because when I hire somebody in-house, I'm working to develop a relationship with these guys and with these crews. Um, and it's harder to just you know do that on their paycheck every single time. It's more of a journey you're on with them. So I would definitely not say that it's cheaper. Also, it takes a lot more management, right? Because I'm doing all of the management of each of these personnel, each of these crews and individuals. So there's a lot of moving parts. What I do on my in-house labor is I still have a foreman who's in charge and I kind of give him HR authority. So that foreman is you know, saying who he wants and who he doesn't want and kind of controlling his team. So I'm still making mm -hmm. him responsible for that. That way, from an HR standpoint, I'm not having to figure out the turnover on the crews. That's a lot. So the foreman still take care of that. Um, Absolutely. But the number one thing about in-house labor is here's the thing. When I'm selling roofs to clients, right? I'm selling, again, that physical install. I'm selling the materials and the labor. That's all that I'm selling, right? And then the warranty and the process behind it, right? And the and the you know insurance. So most of what I'm selling is that physical install. So if I don't control the labor, then a lot of what I'm selling for them, I'm trusting to somebody else. Now that can work, right? Because you can have a sub with your partner who does a really good job. It's fine. But I don't see how I can get as good of a process and good of an install that way as if I control that actual means of production, which is that labor force. Because when I when they're working for me, that means they're working for trust roofing. They're working for our culture. They're working for you know me and what I say we need to do and our intentions and stuff like this. So they're getting behind the culture. Um, and that's key. Like I have crews who have worked for us for a year and a half, two years, right? And when you have someone who's working for you, a crew for a year and a half, two years, the culture, it takes time to put it in. I can't get someone behind like a culture in a week. It's just not going to happen. But after a year, a year and a half, things can start to click where they're like, okay, this is how we want to do things. This is our standard, um, et cetera. Down to the little things like how we tarp the ground, how we nail the shingles, you know, how presentable we are, how timely we are, right? And, and things like this. And you develop a relationship with these crews and then the crews go farther and do more for the clients. I feel like yep. because of that long-term relationship with the company. Um, whereas if I'm just you know, you constantly churning around different labor forces and different guys. It's harder to do that. Now, some guys who sub out, they still have sub crews who have been working for them and they partnered with for many years. So in that way, you can still achieve that with a sub crew model. It's not like you can't, 
But I just know that I really feel like, you know, actually having that labor force as a part of my team and a part of our actual company structure, it just makes it easier for me to feel like I'm controlling the end result yep. of my client. And I always want to be able to be the guy who's fully responsible and in control of the process. So if I control the labor, there's no other fingers to point other than at myself. And for me, I kind of like that. So there's pluses and minuses. It's a lot harder to manage, I would say. Uh, it's, you know, definitely, I wouldn't say it's cheaper, but I feel like if done right, it can be a better end product for, for the client. And, you know, especially in like my retail model, what I'm doing, because the retail model is all about customer service, you know, what your process is like, so I feel like I'm able to build more value too in my sales process because of the fact that we do that. Mm -hmm. So uh, you mentioned that your sister does very well in the sales uh, with the sales processes that you gave her, right? Uh, could you share your sales process? And obviously, if not, because it's a, maybe it's a secret, company secret, could no. you give some uh, tips to the older roofing companies that struggle with sales? Because there is a company that they currently work for. I, I won't name uh, name them, but you know, uh, I've been told by the owner that uh, we, we got them 90 leads in the last month, right? However, he said he's pissed because he missed on a lot of sales because his sales guys were not good enough. So do you have any, any tips and processes that some company could use to achieve success that you may have in yeah. just three years? Number one, I'm going to go backwards to something you said, like whether I wanted to share a secret or something. I don't have any secrets. None of the what I do is secret. Like you can go onto YouTube and you can learn anything about what I do or how I do it or whatever. My model is really simple. My model is try to figure out how to take care of the employee and take care of your clients. Those are the two main keys in business, your employees and your client. If you take care of those two, you'll end up with a good brand. If you end up with a good brand, you're in a good company, you will succeed, right? Yep. So that, that's my model. There's nothing complex about it. And I, I don't really have any secrets necessarily. Um, Going backwards, though, to that gentleman who you work for, that owner who said that he had all these leads and they went out and their sales guys couldn't sell them. And their sales guys weren't good enough. What I would do if I'm that owner is I would look in the mirror because I'm the guy, you know, at the end of the day, as an owner, we're the guy who hires these guys. And we're the guy who trains these guys. So it's on us. Either we didn't hire the right people or we didn't train them right or both. But you have to figure out which one of those it was. And then fix that, right? And it can it can be challenging. And I understand. I've had sales guys who I feel like, man, they missed that deal. And man, and and it's it's human nature to want to point the finger at something else. It 100% is. And I'm not, you know, I still do it all the time. And I have to catch myself, right? But when you're the owner, you're taking ownership, right? You own it. So you got to figure out, okay, what did I do wrong here? Did I not hire someone who was qualified? Did I not train them right? Um, if I don't know how to train them, how do I figure out how to train them? How do I learn, right? These are the steps you have to take. Um, so that's what I would recommend and urge that person or anyone to do is running into that situation. But to go backwards, like what is my sales process like? That's a good question. Our sales process, we don't really have like scripts. We don't have like, oh, you have to exactly say this or exactly do that. We have more, I would say like, I guess frameworks would be a good, good word for it. Like the standard way, the way we like to go about things. And the way that I look at sales is sales is an educational process. Sales is an empathetic process. Sales is understanding what that person in front of you, that homeowner, because each one is different or that building owner, understanding what they need and want, what are their concerns, um, what's their ideal company for this project, what's their ideal outcome, right? Um, understanding that, you have to fully understanding that, understand that. And then on your end, communicate to them about your company, your process, your products, 
and how you can take them to that outcome. I mean, that's the simplicity of sales. That's really all that it is. So a lot of it is asking a lot of questions, right? To understand what they need and want because one customer might be really value heavy, right? Like they really understand value and they want the best job from the best company. They don't want anything to go wrong. And another client might be really budget oriented. That might really be what matters to them. And sometimes as a company, you might not be able to fit their needs and you might not be a good fit. And it's important to understand that too. But if you can understand what they need and want, and then you're able to communicate how your company can do that, then it also just comes down to, do they like you? Are you a likable person? Because people buy from people who they like. And in order to be yep. more likable, you know, again, listen to them more. Don't, don't talk as much, right? Understand them, find out about them, what they need. People who, who listen like that are more empathetic, tend to be more likable, I find. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of that's kind of like it for us. I mean, one thing one thing also is speed. I find it's very important in sales. So like when the customer first calls, we pick up the phone right away, right? And that sounds basic, but like it's important. If you get a lead, you want to be calling that lead within 30 seconds. That's your time frame, 30 seconds. If it's more than five minutes, then you are missing an opportunity, period. Yep. End of story, right? Because yep. in order to make that incredible first impression, like when I get a lead and I call it within 30 seconds, they're like, wow, this company is incredible. And what you're doing is you're setting the bar, you're setting the pace for how they should expect the rest of the process to be. So everything you do in the service industries, it's got to be quick. It's got to be speedy. Um, so, you know, once you take that call or you do it, then we book an appointment within 24 hours, right? We want to be quick. Once we see them and once we're talking to them, like for us, we're able to do roof replacements within two weeks. Uh, oh, well. Repairs we're able to do quicker. So we make it so we don't have long timelines because, again, people people want things quick. People want things Speed fast means. and easy. This convenience is huge. So yeah. anything that you can do to build that in and make your company easier to do business with, I would say is vital. Um, and anything you can do as an owner, like what are you doing for your sales team to provide value? Why would the customer go with you? Like I remember when I used to um, – when we first were starting here, the name of our company wasn't Trust Roofing. We didn't even have this brand yet. We started this brand. We were originally T&G Roofing, and we switched to Trust Roofing about two years ago. And when we would try to sell roofs for T&G Roofing with no Google presence, very little word of mouth, not a brand out there, it was so much more challenging than selling roofs now with like the brand we've created. So yeah. I would ask and I would say there's a lot of importance in building value in your brand, building value in your processes building value in you know who your company is and what you guys do and that'll make it a lot easier for the sales reps to get Man. <laughs> robin you are dropping some golden nuggets uh, today and uh, we are only like 28 minutes in and you have been giving everything that i told to tell to all my you know roofers that come to be interested for roofers edge right so what we do for them because it's so important to have this 30 second call we we install the call center we install ai automations that actually respond to them as soon as the lead comes through right and it's so important that everything you said you know because speed wins you know people don't have attention spans anymore right because of the tiktok and everything right so average human nowadays has around 8 second attention span and if you're not fast enough they'll forget so I have uh, the clients who actually call the leads one or two hours after. It's too late. Like yeah. how Google works, I can do the Google ad for you, but if you don't have somebody who is going to pick up the phone and call right away, this guy is already scrolling on Google to the next page. Looking he's, at your he's competitor. Already, right. He's already, the problem is they'll get three or four other quotes. They might do that anyway, 
But if you're really quick and you're the first person they reach out to, you might end up being the only quote that they get because they're just like, hey, these guys are great. I want to go with them. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that that's the thing. Many people think, you know, uh, this marketing company is going to run my ads. You know, I'm going to get the leads. It's so cool and dandy. But if your processes, sales, or the way you do business is not good enough, then there's nobody else to blame but yourself. You need to have these processes installed and in place if you're hiring marketing because marketing can close you the sales. You know, uh, I know marketing, but I don't have enough knowledge about the roofing and the processes that need to be installed because we don't, we're not, you know, roofing company or roofing coaching company. We're a marketing company. We can get you the leads, but it's up to you to convert them and convince the customer that you are the right choice. And people think, you know, if I hire a roofing uh, a marketing company, everything is going to be cool. I'm going to be rich. I don't need to do anything. It's, it's a wrong mindset. And uh, I actually, you know, that's something that everybody needs to work on and focus on. I mean, you told me the best, <laughs> best yet, right? I, I definitely, yeah, it's so amazing, right? So um, to touch back to the marketing, can you talk me through that? Because you're a younger guy and I know that you work with Tim Hook. So why did you decide to go with Tim Hook? And why do you think Tim Hook has the reputation he has, right? Because I would go on all these groups and everybody recommends him. You know, why Tim Hook? And what's somebody that, you know, does yeah, marketing like me? What, what, what should we do to become the next Tim Hook? Oh, what, you, you, your company? That's a good question. Yeah. I mean, the reason I went with him is because he was highly recommended in the roofing space. Exactly. When I saw on Roofing Insights, seemed highly recommended, right? Uh, he's niched. They're niched into roofing. So whenever mm -hmm. someone's niched, like that kind of tells me, okay, they put a lot of time and energy and attention on servicing that niche of roofers. So whenever that's the case, that's a really good thing, right? So I saw that in that company. Um, they were definitely not like a, a, a budget option, right? Like they are a premium marketing agency for sure. But I knew what I wanted to do and I knew what I wanted to build. And I knew the value in having a good website and a good Google ads team and SEO team working on my Google and SEO. And I knew the amount of work I was going to put in on, on, the, on the ground with the sales team you know, out on the appointments, et cetera. And I knew I could do the work to make that make sense. So, you know, I felt like, I don't know. I felt like it was, it was a safe option because he's worked with a lot of other roofing companies that agency has. And uh, a lot of them have seen success and uh, definitely they've done a great job and we've been able to scale. I started with him. Um, I started with him in 2022, end of 2022. Uh, I think in like, like 2023, yeah, 2023, they started running the ads maybe in the beginning, but mm -hmm. I've definitely been able to scale with them. They've been excellent. So, <laughs> so on average, how much, uh, how many leads does Tim who get to you? I mean, maybe you don't need to tell me details because maybe it's some sort of a secret. For example, my clients, uh, one in Alabama spends around 4,000 on each yeah, and uh, the client in Denver spends 2,000 on each. So how yeah. much does your company spend to generate the results that you are satisfied with? Yeah, that's a good question. We're at about two and a half percent of gross, a little, little less, like two to two and a half percent of gross. is. And growth. that would be around close to what, 500,000? It's a little bit less than that. It's like 350. A year? In that range. Yeah. 
Exactly. I mean, that, that's the main thing, you know, the topic, right? Many people who get into marketing and they pay the marketers, they expect that uh, all these engines are skill-based. Yes, there is some sort of the skill, but how to beat everybody in your space? You just overpay them. <laughs> you just put the budgets high enough so they can, the competition can't get to you. You know, I mean, it sounds stupid, but Alex Hormozzi actually mentions that, you know, the only way you can beat the competition without any effort is by outbidding them. And people don't understand that these engines all operate on bidding. The more you bid, the more you get. And yeah. that's a very important lesson. I mean, you just said yourself, you you spent five hundred thousand on marketing. Is it uh, not, only not quite five hundred? We're we're a little under that. That would be five yeah. percent. Like we're a little, we're like three hundred. You know, we're mm-hmm. we're a little less than that. Um, but uh, one thing I was gonna say mm-hmm. that's very important is marketing is expensive, like you said, right? And in order to be the top of Google, and in order to be that pay per click ad that's at the top, it's gonna be expensive. It's gonna cost a lot of money. So knowing that and understanding as a business owner that marketing is expensive, what I try to do is I'm trying to, while that's going on over there, I'm trying to constantly work on the most important thing in a company. The most important thing in your company is your brand. That's it. That's the most important thing because the brand is literally worth millions, millions. I mean, it's pure gold. You can even put the value on a good brand. So that's the number one thing that I'm constantly trying to work on because I understand that if the brand builds, if our reputation builds, if our impact in the marketplace builds, then the marketing and the amount, the percentage of revenue that I have to spend on marketing will decrease in order to get the same result because the brand is stronger. So now each, so each marketing dollar, right, will will be as usable and as good as the brand behind it. If you have a really good brand like Coca-Cola, I mean, you know, they, you market it and people are, oh, Coca-Cola, they know that brand. They, whoa, right? So that's important is to work a lot and work hard on your brand on the backside. Otherwise, you're constantly going to have to spend that huge amount in marketing to get out there. And if you really invest in brand and branding, then your marketing will get less expensive. And that's how that yep. works. So that's Yeah, exactly. You know, so back to this personal brand and the branding, that's the something that is really underrated in the roofing community. Many, many of them hate, you know, posting on Facebook, hate making posts and stuff like that. But yeah. I always tell them this example, right? So me, myself, I, I never had any marketing experience, right? I, I went to a law school, right? So I was finishing the law school and I built a strong personal brand in the gaming community in 2021, right? And without any marketing degree or anything, one year later, I actually ended up working in Sony without any marketing experience as a social media manager. And that's why I tell them, you know, branding is everything. They don't care about your certifications, about your details. Yes, they are important. It's important that you do the work you do very well. But having a strong brand will actually give you advantage, will give you a chance. And then after you have the chance, it's on you to capitalize it. But it's having a brand is way less expensive than paying on Google ads, Facebook ads or whatever, you know? Yeah. One thing that you made a good point on is like, you know, a lot of them don't like posting or don't want to or all that. I want to just say that I was 100% that guy for the longest time. I hated social media. I hated posting because I felt like social media and I still feel like this a lot sometimes. It's just this whole thing where we're just like, look how great I am. Look how well I'm doing. Look how awesome I am. And it's like very vain, right? Because a lot of the times what's going on behind the scenes is life is never really that that good and that sparkly, right? You yep. don't see all the the struggle, the struggles and trials and tribulations that are going on behind the scenes. You just see like this best perfect version of everybody. 
And what that can do is a, it just feels a little bit like whatever. And I didn't really want to be a part of that. Like, I didn't want to, Oh, look how great I'm doing. Look how awesome I'm doing. Oh, look how I bought this house. Like I didn't like that. So that's why I always stayed away from it. I was just not really that into it. And also there is a fear that can come into place. I know that I had it. I don't even know if I want to call it a fear, but like a not wanting to be judged or thought of by your peers. This is a thought that I used to have that I've had to get over, but that can be a yep. thought that can go into place. But I realized a couple things on this. Number one, on that second point of like not wanting to get judged or not wanting to put yourself out there or whatever. And uh, what's his name? Alex Ramosi talks about this and he helped me overcome this, right? And yeah. Different people talk about this, but at the end of the day, you're not as important as you think you are. Like you're not like people don't think about you as much as you think they do. Right. Like we tend to think that we're a lot more important or special mm -hmm. or whatever than we really are. So you're worried that people are going to think about you like, dude, it doesn't matter. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? And, and at the end of the day, if, if these are my friends on Facebook or on Instagram or whatever the platform may be, that's should be the place where I want to share what I'm doing and how it's going and you know, how I can be helped or, you know, what my brand is or whatever. That's the place I would want to share it. And if it's not, then are those people on your friends list really your friends? And the answer would be, well, then they wouldn't be, of course, right? So kind of sitting back and getting a little bit humble and going, hey, I'm not that important and not being worried about what other people think was a yep. huge thing for me that helped me. Um, and then the other aspect, and just for me, I just trying to be relatively genuine and just trying to not be too over the top, like, oh, look how great we're doing look how great i am just constantly just trying to be genuine and just trying to speak like i find success with trying to speak from my experience and what i've been able to do right and when you do that it's harder to come off as like that arrogant or over pompous or whatever thing that i didn't like that i saw on social media because you're just talking about from your own experience and your own standpoint based off your own experiences and you know that that's important to me and not like I don't know, trying not to like tell people what to do, trying to just say what you've done and how you found success with it. I feel like uh, mm -hmm. is a good way to go about that kind of thing. But I mean, absolutely, you know, doing it for sure. Yeah, for example, you know, you mentioned uh, that nobody cares about you. And this is the example I love to repeat uh, from Alex Ramosi and that they always like to think about. You know, Queen Elizabeth was the ruler of so many countries. She has been a royal for over close to 100 years, right? And she's been a queen for nearly entire life. And she had control over United States, Canada, you know, uh, not officially, but there is a Commonwealth part of it. She made a big impact, where, yeah. Yeah, she made impact, right? And she died uh, after being a ruler for nearly 100 years. And nobody actually remembers her. You know, yes, you're going to have history books, but does anybody talk about her? Does anybody mention her at all? She's gone, and she actually ruled the entire world. So that's exactly why you shouldn't care about others, because everybody will forget you, okay? So the next, maybe your sons won't remember you. Your grandkids, yeah, they'll have some fond memories of you being older and playing with them. After that, there is a high chance everybody will forget you. And that's why I tell to people, just live your life, you know? Just do what you think needs to be done because ultimately it does not matter what they think they'll all die we will all die sooner or later and it doesn't matter just live your life to the fullest and try as much as you can if you want to try this business model or try something else just do it if you think your family will judge you 
Yeah, Indeed. I, I it doesn't matter. Agree. And it's an important thing. Sometimes when you talk or, you know, you, that mindset comes about, it's kind of like, it feels like nihilistic. Mm-hmm. And that's the last thing that it is. It's not at all. It's just a humbleness of realizing that, hey, you know, and, and to not allow others to stop you from living the life that you want to live and do the things and go for the things you want to go for. Because that is one of the reasons people don't is because they're worried about the opinions of others. Um, and getting humble like that is important to be able to do that. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you just, you know, people are too worried about people judging them, you know, yeah. and uh, it's a big problem, you know? So the the thing with this judgment and the community, you know, judgment is because it kills so many dreams, right? So many people are afraid of doing something because the community will judge them. You know, I, I mean, I had Instagram accounts since 2015. It took me over seven years to start posting a lot of stories because I thought it was cringe. I thought, you know, why would I talk about my business with my bunch of friends? What they will think of me, you know? And now I don't give a shit. If they want, they can unfollow, right? But ultimately, where I could have been if I started seven years ago, but I was afraid of their judgment, you know? And it's something that, you know, this is why you are successful because you said, I don't care, you know, at 15, I'll start roofing. You didn't want to start roofing, but you did ultimately. And you are further ahead than most of your friends from the childhood, you know, and because you weren't afraid of what people think, you know, because I feel uh, nowadays, I mean, maybe uh, tell me if I'm wrong, but uh, at least where I'm from, from Serbia, right? Uh, construction workers and people working on construction are usually frowned upon, you know? People are thinking that it's not high class, you know, that everybody needs to have a community college faculty, you know, is it the same in United States or it's different in there? Yeah, I would say it definitely is. There's a, there's a stigma around the blue collar trades. Like if I tell, you know, if, if you, if I tell a girl that I'm a roofer compared to telling a girl or someone that I'm a lawyer, right. Telling a person you're a lawyer, like the status, there's a status thing. Like the lawyer is way more important than the roofer or the doctor or the dentist or whatever. So it's definitely a thing out there. And that's part of what I'm trying to change around in the industry. Cause I'm like, I love roofing. I think it's a very needed product. I mean, it's literally the roof over your head. It's your shelter. Like it's so basic and so vital. It's something that everybody needs, right? So why would a service that everybody needs, it's so basic and so vital, not be looked upon as a, you know, as a really important and really good thing to do and be, right? But unfortunately, mm-hmm. you know, it's gotten a bad name that, oh, it's for big dropouts, guys who can't go to college, guys who aren't smart enough or this or that. And I think that it's the furthest from the truth, you know, and roofing and roofing, you can make such good money, whether you're talking about the sales side, which everyone talks about, but even just like my crews, like some of my foremen, I mean, these guys make insane amounts of money. They do really well. Um, when, when I was a roofer for my dad, when I was like 18 years old, I mean, I, when I was 18 years old working for my dad, I was making more than a lot of people who have graduated college, right? Just roofing and formatting a crew. So there's good money in the physical side of it also. And even in the office side of it, executive, salaried employees, like it's a really good business and a really, really important industry. So I'm trying to kind of be a part of changing that around. And I feel like that is coming. Like I see more and more people talking about the importance of plumbers, electricians, roofers, carpenters, general contractors. Like I see that in society starting to switch a little bit, which I really like because 
We need more good young people who want to get involved in the trades, who want to learn, who want to create a career path out of it, right? I mean, you can take a path like me where you start roofing when I was, you know, 15, 16, do that for a while, move into sales, move into project management, own your own company. I mean, there's so many different paths you can take and it's a really worthwhile and needed industry. We need more good people. There's a huge shortage in the labor pool right now. So I'm trying to be kind of a part of also spurring that up and um, getting more more young people in into it who are good people and want to do a good job and and all that stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, so what do you you know? What would you say to somebody who wants to start roofing at the age you did? Of course, you had the uh, influence of your father who actually yeah. got you into roofing and actually show and actually showed you that roofing is not that bad, right? Uh, you know, at 15, you probably had ideas of being this gangster or somebody. I mean, maybe I'm just judging, you know, but people at 15, they are more of, I'll be this rich guy, wear a suit, you know, I won't be blue collar, stuff like that, you know. At least that's how I thought. I mean, I wanted to be yeah. a, an army man at 15. I, I was to different. Be part- when I was 15, I was just lost, man. I didn't know what I wanted <laughs> to do, where I wanted to go, what I wanted to be at that time. At mm-hmm. least I was just lost. So it, it gave me a path for sure. But there definitely are some guys, yeah, who are very, you know, they have that big ego. They think they can do it all and all that. <laughs> So so why why should somebody who is at 15 16 pursue a being blue collar worker and the owner instead of going to college you know i mean yeah. many people you know I mean, nowadays yeah sorry nowadays people say you know that escape the matrix stuff like that you probably saw it you're a younger guy right so should somebody go into white collar jobs or blue collar you know, because personally, I believe blue collar is way better than white collar nowadays. It's oversaturated there. Everybody wants to be this yeah. fancy guy doing stuff. Nobody wants to get their hands dirty. And I believe it's a wrong mindset. And it's there's a lot of opportunity in blue collar right now. Yeah. I would say I would say there's no right or wrong answer. Right? You can do amazing in white collar. You can do amazing in blue collar. You know, you can do. I mean, there's so much opportunity online nowadays. I mean, you could be like the best finger painter ever and you can make a TikTok following on finger paint. I mean, there's so many online opportunities too nowadays. Like there's so much you can do, but I would definitely urge people to at least consider and look at that path and look at the opportunity that's there. Because like you said, the thing about blue collar right now is there's a shortage. Look at the saturation level, right? Like in trying to say, even what you do, marketing, having a marketing company, the Mm -hmm. difficulty level I feel like of having a marketing company Compared to starting and doing uh, being a roofing company or getting into roofing sales, I feel like it's way harder to do like what you're doing than that. Just because of the amount of saturation that there is again, um, and mm-hmm. the shortage of people who not just want to do it on the blue collar, but also want to do it professionally and at a really high level. Um, and it's definitely a path, man. I mean, like I said, when I was even when I was 17 years old, I was doing better income wise roofing every day with my, you know, and it was fun for me. I mean, it's hard work, but you're out of the sun, you're with your, you know, they were my friends on my crew and, you know, roofing every day, I was making better money than a lot of college graduates. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. don't frown on that opportunity. It's huge. It's there. And, uh, it's definitely a great option, you know? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm from Serbia, right? So, uh, I wanted to be a lawyer simply because of the money aspect, right? Because lawyers in Serbia make around, one to five thousand dollars a month you know i mean you, you're gonna laugh at that because but you know united states is far superior to serbia in balkans yeah. right and uh for me you know when once i saw how easy it is to get money by working for foreign companies i i really didn't have any any 
reason to continue my law studies, right? I'm still a student, but I'm not really inclined to do it because what am I spending my years towards? I'm spending my years towards having some salary that is like a thousand bucks, you know? And yeah. it's, when it's I saw important. ability and possibilities of actually doing that, and we, I went from a law student to actually making triple what a judge in Serbia makes by posting memes on Twitter, you know? It really felt awful, but it also felt superior towards others. I mean, maybe I'm just egoistical and stuff, but when you make memes on Twitter and make them bigger money than somebody who is a judge who spent seven years doing law, it's kind of stupid, you know? There's no point. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's very, very interesting. I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong being a judge or being this or anything, but the thing is, is important is deciding on your path and what it's going to yeah. be from the outset. The mistake that I see a lot of people make, I feel like I've seen some of my peers make, um, is going to college but not having that outcome in mind. Like, okay, I'm going mm. for four years, then I'm going to do this. It's going to lead to this, boom, boom, and just kind of going because it's something to do or somewhere to go. And then you end up out, you're in a lot of debt, and you didn't have a plan, so you yeah. didn't, right? Because if I go to college, I'm only going to get as much data and I'm only going to grow as much as what my plan is. And am I actually there to learn for a reason? If I'm there because I'm like, hey, in four years, I'm going to create the coolest marketing company ever. And that's why I'm going for four years for marketing. I'm going to get all this knowledge so that I can go and do great in marketing. Oh, then you probably would do great going to college for marketing. But if you're going to college just because like, hey, that's what mom and dad said I needed to do, or that's kind of seems like the thing to do, or you know, you're not going to get and reap the returns out of that investment. Um, and I would also urge people to, there's a lot online that you can learn and do. I mean, I learned everything that I know about running a business. I don't know it all by any means, but I know a thing or two and everything that I've learned about running a business, leading a team, selling, communicating, you know, across the board, just a ton on YouTube online. So just realizing that that opportunity is there also, I would say. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, I just got a message from the client, right? He said, I'm super interested in his retail model. Have you, have we actually spoke about that or is there something we missed on? Um, I don't think we really touched on the retail model too much. I mean, I can touch on that. Yeah, so please, please for do. Me, for me, when I was in LA roofing with my dad again, right? That's all that LA is, the, the California market, because there isn't a lot of wind. There isn't a lot of hail. The roofs get really old and they get replaced. So that's all we did was retail. That's the model that he did. That's what I knew. That's what I did. So when we came over here and also in California, you have to W2. You really can't subcontract out like that. Everyone has to have a license. That's how California is. So that also led me to when I came over here to Florida, I was just kind of like, hey, we W2 everyone in-house and then retail. That's all I knew. I didn't even know insurance was a thing, right? So – and I'm not saying that insurance or retail, one is good, one is bad, one is better, one is the other. I just know that I know retail, so that's the niche that I have gone after and what I've done. Um, what I like about retail is I get to work with people, and I like people a lot. I don't like insurance companies. I mean, some people do, maybe. I don't know. I don't like insurance companies. I don't like the insurance industry. I don't want to mm -hmm. work for it and with it. It's just not my thing. Eventually, I'll probably change that, and we'll start working on that too because it would be smart to be diversified. But this size of business, I've been able to carve a niche out of just doing retail. It's been really cool. Um, and the thing about retail is, it, again, working with people is nice. Your price isn't dictated. There's no insurance company that's dictating how much you can or can't charge. So you're free to kind of create however you want. I would say on average, the, the payout in retail is less than insurance by a bit. 
but you don't have to do all the back end work on the supplementing and, and on that. The cash flow in retail is quicker because I'm done with the job, I get paid. I'm done with the job, I get paid. There's no waiting for the insurance company, waiting for the reverse mortgage company. Yeah. You know, it's two months. Yeah. 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 There, there's none of that. So the cash flow is very fast. Um, and that's just the model that I built. The thing about retail also is that, uh, Really taking care of people and doing the brand play that I'm trying to do really works in retail because, again, we're working for people. And when people are spending $20,000 retail on a new roof, you know, they really want it to be done well and with a high serviceability. Whereas when somebody's just paying $2,000 deductible for their roof, it's not, you know, they're just not as linked to it. It's not as big of a deal. So that's kind of how I feel like companies who really focus on insurance, that customer service aspect. And that process being really smooth isn't as important as on the retail side, because on the retail side, again, you know, they're, they're spending $20,000 or at a commercial building could be hundreds of thousands of dollars. You really need to be on the ball. I feel like, so that's kind of, I feel like doing it on the retail side has helped me build my brand more because I've had to be more service oriented, more quick with everything just because they're investing the full cost of the roof. Um, One thing right now in Florida that drives retail a lot is insurance companies and the insurance industry canceling people's roofs. Like literally a roof might be 15 or 18 years old and it's not even leaking, but the insurance company writes a letter says, hey, you have to replace your roof. So that's something that's been going on a lot, which I think is not cool because Mm -hmm. if the roof isn't leaking and you're just forcing the client to change it, it's like, I don't like that. But that's something that's going on that drives the business a lot. In Florida, we get tons of big rains and stuff like that. So, you mm-hmm. know, people will have leaks, they'll have issues, they'll need emergency repairs. So that drives retail a lot. Um, mm-hmm. And again, there's not, it's not that retail's better or insurance is better, but I would say that I've been able to carve a niche out in retail. So everything that I do is centered and focused on that. So that allows me to be niched into retail. Whereas if I started trying to do insurance right now, I might get distracted from what has worked there. So I would say that whichever model you want to go after, find out what you do really well and what works really well for your business and where you're able to you know, succeed and then really focus on that. Don't let yourself get distracted. That's something I've made the mistake of many times, yeah. getting distracted by the shiny thing there or here. Oh, I can do a siding job there. A new business model. There. You get distracted <laughs> and then it always doesn't work. Why doesn't it work? Because yeah. you're, you're just not good at it. Like yeah. I'm good at retail roofing. I'm good at TPO and, and shingle replacements. I'm good at metal and tile. On a retail scale, I'm able to do it quick, fast, and I'm just focused on trying to make that as good as possible. So whichever niche you're going to go after, whatever you're going to do, just make sure you can do it well and then focus on it, I would say. Mm -hmm. So, you know, to wrap it up, because we are already over the limit of the time you have, uh, what is one lesson and one piece of advice you would give any roofing company right now that could have sped up your process to... 18 million that you make now. So something that if you knew three years ago, you would build what you have now in just a year. Is there, does that <laughs> I don't information know, I don't know exist? I, I mean, do it, doing this this fast has been really challenging. One thing that I didn't talk about in this whole thing, which is the 100% key. It's the 100% most key thing, guys, is for me, it's just doing the work. And I know that doesn't sound very special to say because it's not, it's what everybody says. But like literally to build this company, I wake up at five in the morning and I put in the work, man. I mean, the weekends, right? Like I have put in so much work to build this company. And that is the key at the end of the day is putting in the work, but then also being intelligent about putting in the work as much as possible. What I mean by that 
is figuring out how you can delegate, how you can get really, really awesome team members and awesome individuals who want to help you build their company um, and who want to, you know, do big things and then making sure you incentivize and take care of those people because that's like my company is everything. For me, the employees of my company are everything. Like we wouldn't be where we're at without them and all that they do. So making sure you, you know, you incentivize that and create a really good and meaningful, you know, purpose for your company, where it's going. So employees can get behind it um, and then make sure that your employees are growing along with you. I would say those have been my, you know, some of my biggest keys to success, but it, it really is putting in the work. You know what I mean? Uh, when there's that lead on that Saturday, take the call when the other guy wouldn't. Um, when that sales rep needs some help, go ahead and help him when somebody else may not have, right? It's just those little bits of work consistently that compound and, you know, create success, I would say. So that's the number one thing is, is work hard and, uh, you know, and have, have, have good intentions and know where you want to go and the rest will follow. So. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. I definitely agree. Like you have been definitely the most knowledgeable, uh, roofing or roofer company that is. Uh, you know, visiting this podcast and I'm very thankful to have you on. It's, it's an, it's a, it was a pleasure and we should definitely run it back at some time, you know, maybe sit for a longer episode. If I go to the United States at some point, you know, have it, you know, in, in real life. Right. So thank you so much for being part of it. And yeah, with that, uh, I'll end the episode, but feel free to stick around, Robin. I have a few questions for you. If that's fine. Yeah, no problem. Thanks. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate the opportunity. Okay, there we go. I mean, uh, I ended up the recording.